We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We are the Men from Moto, and you're listening to episode 58, Leaving a Legacy. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers with me again this week. How are you, sir? I am fantastic. How are you, David? I'm pretty good. How did your week of Theros end out? Really good. I enjoyed the format. I played it a lot. I had a surprising amount of two ones. Um, like I, I think I three owed two drafts, run of, one of which was the streamer showdown. And then I think I one twoed a pair and then everything else was two ones, which oddly enough was profitable given you could buy the packs and enter with those. So it, it was really good. I had a lot of fun. I saw the good side of Theros and the the bad side of Theros. I uh, had an opponent that curved... Uh, you probably saw this one where they had the Spear of Heliod and Heliod and the Scholar of Athreos, and it just got kind of ridiculous. So sometimes like there were some snowball aspects that I didn't like about Theros, but it, it was a nice welcome break. I think a week was about as long as I wanted it, and I, I enjoyed our visit back to that plane. It was fun. I had a trophy. I had a loss to Prognostic Sphinx, which is a crazy, crazy, <laughs> stupid card. Yeah. Um, I didn't lose to any gods, so I was pretty happy about that. But it was pretty fun in general. I drafted uh, a couple of green-white decks that were really good, and then a black-white control deck that was not as good as it should have been. I had multiple Garys and ways to recur them, and March of the Underworld, is uh, that was a fun card. Uh, getting back Garys was a, was a hoot, but uh, it was not to be. But it was a fun format. I look forward to future flashbacks as long as they're kind of the same price point like it was a really good price point um for me two wanting was i want to say it was plus six tickets or 60 play points so i think i was buying tickets for a, uh, a one ticket each which is really good value so if anybody else out there if you get a chance to do these flashback drafts make sure you check the price of packs because um it, it can turn what is normally a break-even experience into a very positive one from uh from a ticket perspective so yeah, you don't get the opportunity to do that often on Magic Online. So I really appreciated that. Like I wanted to draft Theros anyway, and then giving me extra incentive just meant that I was happily streaming Magic all week. Mm-hmm. And it's good from a Wizards perspective too, because they just make straight up money on the tickets that are used to enter, like the the two extra tickets on top of the packs. Um, and then it gets sort of packs that are in the system, right? So it probably helps their uh, their accountants sleep a little easier at night, <laughs> knowing that there's some assets out out the window there that have been burned. So no, it's, it's good for everybody, I think. And it was good to, to have a fun flashback format. Um, however, we get to look forward this week. Um, there is a couple of things we want to talk about coming up. We have the, the mocks, the magic online championship series, which is starts tomorrow or today as the podcast will launch. Uh, we'll talk for a few minutes about that. We've got some, uh, masters 25 news, Set looks kind of cool so far. Uh, we're not going to do a full review on that just yet. That'll come in a couple of weeks. But that set is being launched, I believe, in two weeks. Um, I don't know if that's on Magic Online as well as paper, but I imagine that it is. Yeah, it's coming online too. Perfect. Um, and then we've got uh, Legacy Cube, which started yesterday or two days ago as the podcast is launched. And we're going to do pretty much 45 to 50 minutes on Legacy Cube, um, similar to what we did for Vintage Cube. Tribe is going to try to convince me 
to uh, play it and I'm going to resist as much as I can. And then I'm going to spend all my free play points on it be- that I earned from playing Theros. Resistance is futile. It pretty much is. Um, so let's start with the mocks. Uh, last year around this time, we did a, a bit of a talk on the mocks and um, Josh utter Layton won in a kind of a spectacular matchup. It was a lot of fun to watch. And so this time around, I think we wanted to talk about this in advance and encourage people to go out there and watch this. What we're talking about when we talk about the mocks is um, 24 of some of the best players in the world. Some of the best players, certainly on magic online are playing for an insane amount of money. Um, The format is similar to what the pro tour was booster draft plus modern and the, the playoffs will be modern. So it's actually very similar to the, to the, uh, to the pro tour, but what you end up with is you end up with um, because there's such a small, player pool um you end up with basically everybody playing everybody else once it seems like or at least you know you play most of the field once you'll play them in a draft and you might play them in modern so you get a a, a, you know some some rivalries built in or you get some like revenge matches i guess if you want to call them that um and you get a lot of very entertaining um play because these are the best players in the world there's no scrubs in this format um and they're basically thrown right into the arena with each other and they have to battle it out for what is it upwards of forty thousand dollars to the yeah, first place is 40 and it's like a two hundred thousand dollar prize pool i i've also appreciated in these that have a constructed portion that it's always a really interesting metagame because like imagine you're going to a modern gp where there's going to be two thousand people playing you kind of have to prepare for everything but like with this you know exactly the 23 other people that are going in you know, like you can find out what their history of playing is and, and kind of metagame against that. So you can have some really interesting and constructed deck choice, especially in modern, which is a format that's just all wide open. So oddly enough, it's I'm far more interested in watching the draft, the, the modern portion of this than I am the draft portion. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to to seeing the draft portion more because these are some serious moto grinders that have gotten like more reps than anybody in the format, probably, except maybe the top streamers. Um, so so I look forward to that specifically, but I can appreciate that the modern is going to be kind of a not your typical metagame. I, in fact, I wouldn't take anything away from the metagame at the at the closing of this event. Um, anything you see here, you can probably just throw right out the window because you have to go back to the large fields, you know, your GPs, your pro tours and things like that. So it's, it's basically the wild west of modern, um, no bands in the recent wave. We just had came off a pro tour that was modern. Um, and, and people have been experimenting on magic online. Plus we have the release of, of the five O decks on magic online and the modern leagues. So all of this kind of comes together in a perfect storm for, the magic online championship. I think it's going to be very interesting. I'm going to have it on in the background as I work and maybe watch some, some video on demands. Um, I guess probably when I get home this weekend, we'll see. So big winner, is it Jace or blood braid elf? Uh, I think definitely Jace. Um, Be wrong. It is a hundred percent blood braid elf. You think it's blood. I don't know anything about modern. So, okay. I know a little bit about modern blood braid elf was better than Jace. From what I'm seeing on Twitter, though, everybody's all like the big bad Jace. Maybe they just haven't come around and and all the people that know about Bloodbraid Elf for this are, you know, conceding at 4-0 and taking a <laughs> loss so they don't show up in the 5-0 lists, right? That must be it. That must be um, it. So I highly recommend watching this. The uh, production value should be on par with what it is for the uh, the Super League, the Vintage Super League. The same team is running it. 
um, Randy Bueller and Athena Frolik are running it. Um, and I mean, granted, they're just sitting in front of laptops at Wizards headquarters, um, but the commentary should be good. Um, they've got a, a top top tier lineup. Marshall Sutcliffe, Paul Rietzel, Eric Frolik, Ben Sack. Um, it, it's going to be like Vintage Super League, except with a lot of money on the line. So I look forward to do the coverage for that. Yeah, sure. Go check it out. It's on the Magic Twitch channel. Uh, again, starting today as the podcast goes live and then running through the weekend. Uh, it's it's definitely worth your time to check out. Um, there are some interesting characters here, uh, lots of Pro Tour players, but I think the one that I'm interested in the most is uh, Sandy Dog, who is a known moto grinder and uh, does go to the occasional GP. And um, I'm really looking forward to uh, to seeing if he can do well in this event. I know recently he top aided a GP. I think didn't he? Did he make the Pro Tour? He must have made the Pro Tour if he top aided the GP, right? I, I don't know that much about him, except that every time I've played him in a league, he's been playing mono red. So you think he's going to be on mono red, or do you think he's going to break the mold here and um, and go out of his comfort zone, and play something else? That was always in standard, so I, I honestly have no idea what he might do in modern. But like that—that that is neat to kind of watch this star is born moment because, like, I know who that is. I've played against him plenty of times, so it'll be kind of cool to get to see him in action. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember if this was the first or the second year of the new um, Mox qualifier format, where the pros, like the the gold and, and platinum pros, got a bit of an, an edge in qualifier points. Um, but we definitely see a lot of pros. Uh, Josh Leighton returns. Uh, Reed Duke is playing. So the the, the field is stacked. Um, I know if I was playing in this, I mean, obviously I'd have to be a good player to be playing in this, but it, I would I would be a little scared of some of the matchups here. Um, but I guess at the end of the day, it is just magic. So I look forward to seeing some some high quality play. Yeah, I dig it. And hopefully I can be in the one next year. There's still hope. Wouldn't that be a thing? Yeah, be a hell of a thing. All right. Switching gears here onto Masters 25. Now, the unfortunate thing is we do not have a spoiler card for you. That is not what we are here to talk about. Um, but we've seen a lot of the set now. Um, it's almost all been spoiled. A lot of the mythics, a lot of the rares have been spoiled, if not all of them. Um, what stands out for you in terms of just the set as a whole? What are you looking forward to the most when it comes to Masters 25? You know, honestly, I want to see the entire spoiler because what I'm most interested in is the idea of a good, solid, limited environment, far more so than anything else. But I am appreciating that they're reprinting some iconic cards, right? Like seeing Armageddon, just as an example, makes me happy. I can remember when I first started playing Armageddon, started playing Magic, and Armageddon decks were a thing. Like, you know, turn one elf, turn two elf, turn three Armageddon, then cast your marrow and you're good to go. Like, that was a legitimate tier one strategy when I was first getting into magic. But what really has me interested in, and I want to see the full spoiler for this is, is the drafting going to be on rails? Um, Some of the draft formats that the master said, I've really not liked the first modern masters was one of those. Cause I felt like the drafting was kind of boring. And then like iconic masters, I, I don't think that was as powerful as, as the first modern masters, oddly enough, but you could go in a lot of different directions. And I really enjoyed that. So I'd, I'd like to see more, but I, I appreciate that they're reprinting a lot of really old, cool cards and that we'll get to play with those and see those again. I also feel kind of bad for Savannah Lions. Downgraded from rare. Yeah, like it, it tells you a lot about how magic has changed in all those years, but I'm happy that Savannah Lions is in the set. Like when I, whenever I see a two one for one, I think that's a Savannah Lion. 
you can you can tell when people started playing magic by what they call a one mana two one what's a one like mana it. two one to you oh god i don't even know I'm trying to think one mana two one in white well there's some like it didn't have to be in white there's some people that see that and go oh jackal pup yeah no i don't even see jackal pup I, I don't the only one I can think of is the one from the recent set. That's the only one that comes to mind immediately aside from Savannah Lions. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Well, Savannah, I didn't even Savannah play Savannah Lions. Lions. Just, just iconic. What what has you all excited about the the new master set? Um, honestly, like not a ton. Um I have to see the whole spoiler. Like I have to see the spoiler as a whole, and I haven't really done that yet to, to evaluate it as as what it looks like to draft. Um there are some cool recent cards, I suppose. Um, trying to think of like specific examples. I can't even think of them off the top of my head. It's just not hitting it for me. I think like it's not, it's not touching a nerve for me. Um, and I've, I've kind of not really seen any synergies in these cards that are being spoiled, probably because I'm not looking down and looking like consuming them all at once. Um, the lands Have are kind of ever- cool. Like, let's be fair, though. Have you ever been, like, super stoked about any of these Masters releases? No, because they're, like, $10 suggested retail value. And, you know, aside from draft, I guess I could draft them online, obviously. But, like, um, I'm not going to buy packs to crack them. I'm not going to build a cube. This this set this set is not targeted to me. It's, it's for um, commander players. It's for the people that were playing 25 years ago that want to see all the cool cards uh, with different yeah, art and, and pick them up in foil. Um, and maybe the draft format is good, but not a lot of people will draft it um, multiple times in paper. Obviously, online, we can draft it a ton um, and maybe get some good value out of it. So, like, I'll play it, obviously, if it's a good draft format. Um, and uh, and if it's not, it's really no skin off my teeth. Um, I'm kind of looking forward to to seeing how it drafts, though. I'll play it a couple of times for sure. But you'll, I don't think I'll ever crack a pack of it. If I had yeah, a cube, same. right, or I was looking to build a cube, like, maybe it'll be a fun, you know, starter somebody can get a box or something like that. And it's a good start to a cube for them. Um, or maybe people can open it up and get some value out of it. But um, no, not really popper p- players are excited. Like this is good for them. There's a lot of downshifts and rarity for them that they've kind of been waiting for and some good reprints for them that they've been waiting for. Um, so it's good for a lot of people and it doesn't, not everything has to be good for me. I, I'm happy that I have legacy cube for a little bit. Then I have a master's release. Then I have modern cube. Then I have dominaria. So like I'm excited about the formats that are coming to Magic Online, and honestly, it hadn't occurred to me that you could get um, Masters 25 sets in paper. Like I'm so far removed from that now, I'd forgotten it was even a paper product. Because like Vintage Masters was the master set that I loved to pieces, and that one was never released in paper. That was that was online only. So I, I guess you could buy paper ones if you wanted to, but that's that's not for me. I just want to draft it. Yeah, and I'm and, and I hope it's good, right? Um, Wizards is pretty cognizant of making good draft formats out of everything or trying to make good draft formats out of everything so i imagine that me looking at a couple of cards and saying okay great but is there a goblin deck here like i see a goblin card but does that mean i can draft goblins the answer is probably yes okay um but yeah there's a lot of exciting stuff coming up to bridge the gap between rivals and dominaria and one of those things that is on right now as we speak legacy cube and if i understand correctly if i read correctly i think it's on for two weeks um which will take us through to masters 25 and then like you said modern cube so legacy cube something that i have maybe drafted once so i'm going to approach this as a complete noob to you and i'm going to get you to be my guide through legacy cube 
We're going to talk about strategy, archetypes. How is this different from other cubes? Um, you know, what are some safe first picks if you're overwhelmed by a pack like I frequently am? And uh, and yeah, we'll just kind of spend a few minutes here and just uh, just jam about Legacy Cube. So why did you start? What do you like about Legacy Cube? Why do you enjoy drafting Legacy Cube? It doesn't have to be compared to anything else. It's just what gets you up in the morning to, to crack a Legacy Cube pack and say, I'm drafting this today. Well, let's let's take one step back and then I absolutely want to answer that question. But I, I want to preface this like this could be somebody's first episode and they're they're not even sure what a cube is. Like the idea of cube magic is we're going to take like highlights, best ofs, some of the most iconic cards from a set and put them into a cube. And that's what this legacy cube is. It's named legacy cube because it's getting rid of any of the restricted cards that you would see in vintage. So like that differentiates it from there. Later, we'll talk about the modern cube and that plays only cards that are printed in a modern frame. So one defining format of cube is that it's it's singleton. So you're not going to get three copies of Animate Dead, but you could get multiple copies of spells that do a similar thing to get that effect in there. So Legacy Cube is actually my favorite of the three cubes that come out on Magic Online. The Vintage Cube can be a lot of fun, but having power and easy, fast mana in a format can make it feel a little bit repetitive. And like there's less decisions to make when you look at a pack, right? Like if there's power in it, you just take the power. If there's a mana rock, you just take the mana rock. The Modern Cube also felt like it wasn't quite as deep. And that's just, again, we're playing with 20 years worth of cards instead of 10. So we've got a lot more depth there. And one of the things I like most about this is when you open a pack, there's not a, a definite, you have to pick this. And if you don't take this, you're wrong, right? Like if you show me a pack from nearly any limited set and say, what's the pack one, pick one, I think we could narrow most packs down to two cards. And then if you're not picking one of those two cards, you're just doing it wrong. Whereas with, I think, most Legacy Cube packs that we're opening, you could make a solid argument for about six of the cards being first pick worthy. And I really like that flexibility that I can kind of sit down and draft whatever I want. Um, it's also important when you're drafting Cube to recognize that you're you're not really trying to draft a collection of good cards like you would be in many of the other formats we play. You're trying to draft a specific deck. Your deck needs to have kind of a plan, an idea, something that you're building towards. It's almost like you're trying to draft a constructed deck. Mm -hmm. But like that's what gets me excited is I can open a pack and feel like the world is laid out before me. We talked some in the past about skill expression, and I feel like Cube is really a place where I can do that because I can open a pack and, again, have three people in chat say, you have to take this. Three other people say, no, 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 he should take this. And still another group arguing for something else. And then I pick something that's none of those. And like all of those were valid points. So you end up with a lot of arguments in chat and then you just end up taking a land? <laughs> well, that, that is actually how it plays out, yes. But like there's a lot, of, a lot of different directions you can go. And like I don't remember, I don't think there are other formats where you can have a preference for what you want to draft and then get to draft that. Like sit down and say, I'm going to try to draft this strategy and then kind of be able to pull it off because all the cards are good, right? Like a lot of a lot of sets, you have, you know, six good cards in a pack and six bad ones. That's just not what's happening here. Yeah, like if you go in and you're like, today I want to draft mono red. I mean, there's a good chance that the pack's break in your direction that you can draft at least mostly red. 
Um, if somebody else is fighting you for those cards at the table, you might not get the nut mono red deck, but you, then you can like, you know, hedge into a, a white red aggro strategy or something like that. Right. I, I do, I do find that that's interesting for somebody like me that doesn't draft a lot of cube. Um, this appeals to me because I can sit down and I can immediately go to the cards that I'm comfortable with while I'm learning the other archetypes by playing against them. So it's kind of like it's kind of like diving into modern, right? If if I'm comfortable playing some kind of creature based deck, I can find something like that in modern and then play against Storm and Tron and all those other things and learn about those as opposed to playing them myself to learn them. So I kind of like that approach. You know, I like green based decks and I know how to play a green based ramp deck. I can sit down and play a green based ramp deck in cube. And most of the time, if, if I wanted to draft it, I can piece together some semblance of a green anything ramp deck with prime time or something like that primeval titan and i know that it's going to be an okay deck so when when you do sit down though and you crack your pack and you're looking at your 15 cards you know for me especially i find that it can be overwhelming because like you said all the cards are good so what is your process to narrow those cards down do you have a a a checklist you go through do you look for you know planeswalkers or lands or something like that first what's your general approach to narrowing down those pick one pack ones to at least a handful of cards i think perhaps we could describe this by doing a pack one pick one mm. that i had on stream today outstanding yeah let's do it so i've, I've got one pulled up and I, i'm going to read off all of the cards there's a lot of them it will probably take a minute or two to go through this but I think this will illustrate my point that you can kind of go in whatever direction you want. So here we go. We've got Chandra Flamecaller, which is the four red red Chandra from Battle for Zendikar block. Uh, she plus ones to create two, three, one red elemental creature tokens with haste. They die at the end of the turn. You can zero her, discard your hand, draw that many cards, and you can minus X her to deal a bunch of damage to each creature. We've got Dragon Lord Dramoka. Four white green for a five seven can't be countered. Flying lifelink, your opponent can't cast spells during your turn. Sun Titan, four white white for a six six vigilance. When it enters the battlefield or attacks, return a permanent with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Ancient Tomb, a land that taps for two colorless and deals two damage to you. Black Cleave Cliffs, it's a duel for red and black. It enters tapped unless you have uh, two or less lands. Deathrite Shaman, uh, green or black for a 1-2 Elf Shaman. You can tap him, exile a land card from a graveyard, get a mana. Tap him, spend a black, exile an instant or sorcery, deal two damage to your opponent. Green, tap him, exile creature card from any graveyard, gain two life. Deranged Hermit. Three green green for a one one with echo of three green green. That means you have to pay that cost again during your next upkeep or the card is destroyed. Enters the battlefield, you get four squirrel tokens. They're one ones. And the hermit gives all squirrels plus one plus one. If you've never killed your opponent with squirrels, you're missing out, man. Raging Ravine. This is a green red duel that enters the battlefield tapped. You can spend two red green to make it a three three green elemental creature. Uh, until end of turn, and it gets a plus one, plus one counter when it attacks. Thing in the Ice, one in a blue for an 0-4 Defender, has four ice counters on it. When you cast an instant or sorcery, remove them. Um, when they're all gone, it turns into a 7-8 and bounces the rest of the board. We've seen that a lot and played with it recently in Shadows. Toxic Deluge, two in a black for a sorcery. 
as an additional cost to cast it, pay X life. All creatures get minus X, minus X until end of turn. That'll kill everything. Dissolve. We just played with this in Theros. One blue, blue, instant, counter target, spell, scry one. Oblivion Ring. We're familiar with this one too. It's two and white for an enchantment. Enters the battlefield, exile a permanent. When it leaves the battlefield, return the permanent. Shriek Maul, which is four and a black for a 3-2. When it enters the battlefield, destroy target non-artifact, non-black creature. Or you can just get the effect by evoking it for one and a black. It also has fear. Brimstone Volley, two and a red for an instant, three damage to target creature or player. If a creature has died this turn, it's five damage instead. And Nature's Lore, one and a green for a sorcery. Search your library for a forest card. Put that card in your battlefield. Shuffle your library. That's our pack. And I, I, as we were discussing this, there were six cards here I was thinking about. Okay, so the six that stand out to me, uh, or I have five here that stand out to me. I have Ancient Tomb, which is about as fast man as you can get in the format uh, in, in colorless or not having to cast a, uh, a spell to do it. You've got Deranged Hermit because squirrels are awesome. Toxic Deluge because killing squirrels is awesome. Shriek Maw because two for ones, right? Why not? Uh, modal spell essentially here. You get you can cast a a Doom Blade or a uh, or or a loot or a Chupacabra, Ravenous Chupacabra is that the one? Lurking Chupacabra, whichever is the one. It's a terror, and, not a Doom Blade, but fair enough. Sure, whatever. Uh, and then Nature's Lore um, because that fits into obviously a ramp strategy. Um, it's kind of like your Farseek, except just for forests. Mm-hmm. So those are the five that I pulled out um, as I was going through, but there's also Chandra, the Planeswalker. Uh, Dromoka is a big thing to ramp to. And I, I did like Dromoka when I played it in the cons block. Um, but those are the cards that kind of stood out to me. There's a lot of cards there. Yeah. I, I think Oblivion Ring deserves to be in that conversation too. It's just like removal for anything. And I, I tend not to be interested in first picking either the Chandra, the Dromoka or the Sun Titan for me because finding six mana awesome cards is relatively easy to do in this cube. Um, if you start taking those six mana awesome cards, you'll find yourself like somewhere in pack two, you'll be like, oh my God, I've got five, six drops. What what am I going to do early game? So I like to take the cheap stuff early and then just pick up that stuff as it gets passed. I think all of those are reasonable picks. I ended up taking the nature's lore here because I like, I like green ramp. I was like, hey, here's a good green ramp card. And we ended up with a great green based ramp deck. Uh, that had upheaval in it. It ended up being green, blue, mystic snake. It was a really cool deck. Um, but like you could have taken the oblivion ring and gone into to mono white aggro. You could take the toxic deluge and set yourself up for a control deck. I, I think nearly all of the cards here are reasonable. And and I think that is the real, for me, the, the draw to this particular cube. Okay. Um, I find it interesting that you take the nature's Lord over the ancient tomb though, um, because the ancient tomb, you know, obviously ramps you as well. And it kind of powers out your, your threes and fours a little earlier, as opposed to your fives and sixes. Um, I mean, it does that too, but you know, you're looking, I guess you're looking to dump your hand a little earlier with tomb, like get two or three elves down as fast as you can. If we were in a powered cube and I opened this pack without any power, I would take the ancient tomb over the nature's lore missing power warps a format a little bit and that aggressive strategies are exceptionally viable here. Like they were still viable in Powered Cube, but they're even more so viable here. You're going to play against a mono red deck and the two life is going to be a cost. 
there's also not as many artifacts for you to ramp out here as there are in the other ones. So generally speaking, if you're going to ramp in this particular cube, you have to be doing it with green. So oddly enough, the Ancient Tomb wield, I took it and didn't play it because it wasn't powering out anything in this deck. Everything was like too heavy green and too heavy blue. So like Tomb would be a very reasonable first pick in a format where people are do, you know playing Storm and Reanimator and you just need to be faster. But I think the fair decks are a little more common in this particular cube uh, than in, in the the vintage cube. If you played that last last go round, mm-hmm. well, I mean, I would even argue that the that the fair cubes kind of rule the day, right? Like unfair or uh, sorry, fair decks, unfair decks don't really seem to be a thing in Legacy Cube. Is is that accurate, or am I kind of exaggerating it? I mean, it certainly feels unfair when your opponent lands a Geist of St. Traft and then casts Forbid with buyback, and you're like, I'm never beating this. Like, that feels unfair, but it's nothing like, you know, storm off on turn one, mm-hmm. uh, which, I mean, is is not super likely to happen here. But you can have people drop very powerful spells very fast and then wonder, how exactly am I supposed to beat this? And that, like you're at least going to have to wait till turn three or four to be casting those huge board affecting cards. Okay. Um, so do you want to just go into the archetypes or is there anything you want to cover in like general cube legacy cube strategy? I, again, I, here's, here's like a, a, a good summary of that. Make sure that you're drafting towards a particular strategy and thinking about a control deck, uh, an aggro deck, a reanimator deck, whatever style deck it is that you want to make, make sure that your cards are all working towards that same goal rather than trying to have a good stuff deck. Like most of our limited decks in most limited formats are just the good white and blue cards that I have, right? I feel like most limited formats are generally two mid-range decks staring at each other. Sometimes you'll get a control deck. Sometimes you'll get an aggro deck. But when I say aggro deck, like you can get five one drops, in this cube for your aggro deck. Like that's an aggro deck, not a deck that's playing, you know, six, two drops, which is what we're used to when we hear somebody talk about that. And then two, you need to pick lands higher than you think you do. And then you need to pick lands higher than you think you think you do. They're that important. If you're playing a two color deck in this cube and you're running all basics, something has gone catastrophically wrong with your event. Like, I had a blue-red deck today that was able to have 15 red sources, 11 blue sources, and a free splash for Xenagos just because I was picking the lands highly enough. Uh, So, like, pick the lands. If all of the cards are good, and they are, it's a cube. Every time you pick a land, you're allowing yourself to play one more of your picks than your opponents who aren't taking lands, right? If, If you and I both draft cube and you draft lands highly and I don't, and you got eight lands that you're going to play and I didn't get any, then you're playing eight more cards that you picked from this cube than I did. And that's a huge advantage for you because some of them are man lands, some of them are fixing, some of them are fetches. And like, there's all sorts of combos with the fetch lands from Brainstorm to Courser of Crew Fix, you name it, you can do cool stuff with the fetch lands. So like, that's my biggest piece of advice is if you sit down and you're legitimately not sure what to pick and you want a safe pick, take a land. Uh, the the fetch lands and the the lands that can be fetched by fetch lands are the highest priority there for me. And then you too, like pay attention to your mana base, right? Like if I'm blue red, but I have a a, <laughs> a green blue fetch and I pick up a taiga, 
all of a sudden that misty rainforest is a dual land for me because it can get both of them. So like little interactions like that, that you won't see pop up very much can get you a very healthy mana base. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A a thing to keep in mind if you're new to the cube and you're new to the the fetch lands is the, the fetch lands are incredibly valuable um, when you can fetch either side of them and fix both of your colors or all three of your colors that way. So keep an eye out for that, right? Like if you have a, like a steam vents, you're looking for, red or blue based duels which opens up much more than just having to fet having to get a red blue duel for example mm-hmm. okay um great well let's just let's dive into some archetypes then um and then we did this for the for the uh for the vintage cube we'll kind of do the same same format here what are uh what are some key archetypes that we could be looking for and what are the key cards in those archetypes well, I think I will start by talking about Mono Red. That's kind of the boogeyman of the format. Uh, people call it the fun police. And I want you to at least be prepared uh, for this when you when you start drafting it. This is typically trying to draft a very low-curve, hyper-aggressive deck that's going to try to kill your opponent quickly with creatures. Um, it can be entirely Mono Red. You can also sometimes splash some other colors in it so it's not uncommon to see a mostly red deck with a couple of white cards or a mostly red deck with a couple of black cards um you can if if you do manage to pull off mono red you're able to do it um and even play some of the man lands like a muta vault for example there's also a kind of a big red version that you can play but like we'll, we'll start off with just some some cards to be aware of like this is an oldie but a goodie. I even mentioned it in our our pre-show. Jackal Pop, red for a two-one. When it's dealt damage, it deals that much damage to you. Like you want to get as many one drops in this deck as you possibly can, so that you can start running over your opponent. And Jackal Pop's just a, a solid representation of that. We've obviously got burn spells like Lightning Bolt. You can use these early to clear the way for your creatures and late game just point them at your opponent. In the very low to the ground version of this, Hell Rider. Uh, which is a an older card, but it's two red red for a three three haste. Whenever a creature you control attacks, Hellrider deals one damage to defending player, so it counts itself. So it's sort of attacking as a four three, and then dealing damage to your opponent for everything else you have that's attacking. A lot of games are closed out with Hellrider swing team, even though they've got good blocks, they're just dead to all of the damage that's happening there. You've got iconic card Goblin Guide. Yeah, which is kind of a staple in this deck. Uh, red for a two-two haste. Whenever it attacks, defending player reveals the top card, and if it's a land, it goes into their hand, so you, they can get some card draw out of it. But how many games have you seen where p- opponent sticks a, a turn one goblin guide and hits you, and you never draw a land off of it, and you're kind of at like ten life before you stabilize, and they've got four creatures on board? Yeah, like the the drawback is obviously not a big deal here, right? Like you just want to be hitting your opponent as fast as possible. There's Strom Kirk Noble, which is an old one that I liked. Looking through the the new list, it doesn't look like Sulfuric Vortex is in this cube, which was kind of like the one card that made you want to go into Mono Red in the past um, and was a little bit overpowered, to be honest. So, like, I'm happy that they took that out. To be fair, it still looks like Mono Red is exceptionally aggro um, and exceptionally viable. So just draft all of your low-casting cost creatures, draft all of the burn that you can find, and then for, for the low-end version, don't be looking too much for the big stuff, right? Like if you're looking to do the aggressive version, Glorybringer's in here. And obviously that's a fine creature, but I would take the 
um, goblin guide over that every time if I'm looking to do this aggressive version of the deck. You can go a little bit larger, and it's not crazy to play a couple fives and sixes in here, but like a 16 land version is somewhere that I'm I'm a little more interested in when I'm going for the fun police deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some um there's a there's a summary here that we can link in the in the show notes of the cards leaving the cube and entering the cube. And one that stands out to me is uh, Rekindling Phoenix. I know it doesn't have haste, but that can be an annoying card for your opponent to deal with when you, their hand is almost empty. Um, but also Rampaging Ferocidon, recently banned in standard All-Star, um, seems to be a very good card against uh, against certain strategies. Like if you're playing against, a, let's say, a mono-white deck or, or something like that that's going to be dropping a lot of tokens, this could... Uh, this could close out a game or at least put it within reach of a lightning bolt. So it's interesting. I like seeing the cards that they bring over because I recognize these cards. You know, if I open a pack with hazard in it, for example, it's like, Oh, Hey, I know what that does. I can evaluate that against some of these other cards. Um, you know, hopefully by reading them, but I know, at least I know the base power level of a hazard. Um, and, and then the skill comes in. How does it, how does it fit in the cube? Like where's its power level in the cube? So I think it's pretty cool. Next up for me, and I think a good archetype to consider drafting for beginners, is Mono White Aggressive. And there's just a a lot of really good cards that that you can take here and build your way into an aggro deck. um, And I I think have a lot of fun with. There's things like uh, Glorious Anthem, one white white for an enchantment. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one. And there's a lot of cards that do something similar to this. Honor of the Pure is another example. One and a white. White creatures you control get plus one, plus one. There's several effects that that kind of pump your team. So that's looking to have you draft lots of small stuff or things that generate you know multiple creatures for one card and build out a big board and then kill your opponent with it. Um, so like anything that's producing tokens obviously goes up here. Raise the alarm being like one simple example of that. It's one in a white for an instant, make two one one white creature tokens. And then you can go all the way up to something like Cloud Goat Ranger, which is a five mana three three uh, that comes with three one ones. And then you can tap the one ones to give it flying and plus two plus O. Oh. So like it's it's spreading out all of this power and toughness from one card over multiple creatures on the board. So like that's that's kind of the strategy that this deck tends to employ. There's a lot of Planeswalkers that you can have in this. And then there's some Haymakers. Um, Hero of Bladehold obviously goes in this deck. That's two white-white for a 3-4. When it attacks, you put two one-one white soldier creature tokens onto the battlefield tapped and attacking. And other attacking creatures get plus one, plus oh until end of turn. So like I've played that in control decks as a finisher. Like The card's just absurd, but it's it's great in this deck as well. And then you've got a lot of the the good removal that you're used to seeing in white. Um, Path to Exile. Path to Exile, Swords to Plowshares, um, Journey to Nowhere, Oblivion Ring. Um, You've also got some hate cards like Mirren Crusader, one white white for a 2-2 double strike pro black. Um, This is one of the decks also that can take advantage of the various swords and equipments that are in the cube. So we'll see things like the Umazawa's Jit, uh, and then all of the various swords, you can usually play one of those in this deck because you're getting so many creatures out, it's not hard to kind of sneak one through. So like this is a very straightforward deck for you to draft, and it's 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 actually quite competitive. Um, and there's enough of the cards in here that like you can kind of force draft this even with somebody else in the table and not be too disappointed about it. 
And if you have to add in a secondary color just for like a light splash, it's not really that bad. You can splash um, blue and sneak a Geist of St. Traft in here. You could splash a little bit of black so you can flash back your Lingering Souls, for example. Um, I've seen a little light splash of red, a light splash of green for some hate bears or something like that. So it's not the end of the world if you have to not be mono white, but you can very easily put together a, a solid mono white deck that's looking to take advantage of those anthem effects and just kind of pump little creatures and kill your opponent. What are the cards you're looking to take early that'll put you into mono white? Are you looking for the anthems first? Are you looking for like a solid planeswalker like an Elspeth first? Um, what, what's your, what kind of zooms you in on this, on this archetype? Usually what does it for me is first picking a solid white card that, that like doesn't need this archetype to be good. Um, something like oblivion ring, hero of blade hold journey to nowhere. If, if I'm going to pick something like that and then I don't know, maybe I get past an honor of the pure. Like, again, one of the things I like about this cube is you can just kind of decide that's what you want to do and go for it um, and then kind of see, test the water, see if it's open. And there's enough kind of good ones and twos in white that you'll get enough of them if you just prioritize drafting them. Okay. I'm making notes but here. Like I said, usually for, for me to get into it, it's first picking just a generally good white card and then getting past a really good aggressive white card. Be like, you know what? Let's go for it. Let's do this one. Okay. I'm furiously making notes here as as I learned that the Travis Sowers guide to drafting Legacy Cube for fun and profit. I think the biggest lesson that I would leave anybody with, and I, I know we're going to go through and talk about a few more archetypes, is just pick the cards you want to play. Cube is about fun, first and foremost. And for me, winning is a big part of fun. But one of the things that I've mentioned it, I'll mention it over and over. I like that kind of the world is your oyster when you sit down to do a legacy cube draft. You can quite literally sit down and draft what you want. All right. I like it. Next up in the archetypes, um, you want to talk about reanimator? Yes, I'll talk about reanimator. Um, it, it is in this cube. Usually if you're going to do it, there's a green black version and a blue black version and sometimes you can do a soul tie version and kind of combine all of them. But what you're looking to do is kind of combo getting a large creature into your graveyard and then using a black spell to move it from the graveyard into play. Some of the better targets for this are things like Gristlebrand is the one that everybody wants to reanimate. But really any big, large, you know, game ending creature that you can get into play quickly uh, will do it for you. The green-based versions are going to use effects like Survival to discard a, a creature and then tutor one up and put it in your hand. The blue ones will use things like Looters, um, and there's various spells that do that, Careful Study and that sort of thing to discard cards and then reanimate them back. Generally, I'm not a fan of drafting Reanimator in Cube. I, I don't think it's one of the better decks because it's kind of a three-card combo deck. I've got to get the big thing, a way to get it out of my hand, and then a way to get it back. Now, if your entire deck is focused on that, or if this is just what you want to do, by all means, go for it and have fun. But I don't think this is the most competitive deck in the format. At least it hasn't been for me when I've played it. I've had versions of it that were very good and still struggled. Because um, it, it, like all of the other decks, you're kind of playing against your opponent. This deck, you're kind of playing against yourself to see if you can put the combo together. And then it can sometimes be quite easily disrupted. So if I invest three cards to get a Gristle Brand in play and they swords to plowshare it, sure, I get to draw seven cards. 
but I'm kind of set back to, you know, step one again of now, okay, now I have to find another big thing, another way to discard it and a, another way to get it back into play. And if I reanimated anything that wasn't Gristle Brand, I'm actually really far behind at that point. Um, so I, I'm not a huge fan of Reanimator. The version I have seen that was kind of fun was a, a black-red Reanimator sneak attack deck that's kind of trying to use instant speed um, reanimation and play some Eldrazi. So like Makeshift Mannequin is an example of that. Uh, this is three and a black for an instant return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield with a Mannequin counter on it. When it becomes a target of her spell or ability, sacrifice it. What's unique about this one is it's instant speed. So if you discard some of the old Eldrazi's, while their shuffle trigger is on the stack, you can reanimate it there. So that plays nicely with like sneak attack where you can just flash in Emrakul and yeah, you're not going to kill them in one hit, but they're so far behind, you can probably win from there. So there's, there's a lot of fun things you can combo with Reanimator, um, but it, it's typically not a deck that I go for. And like that, that's kind of my privilege again with this cube is I don't have to draft it if I don't want to. You could just ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I do. But if, if you're excited about Reanimator and want to play it, by all means, draft it. Okay. So what's the next archetype then you're, that you are excited to play that you actively go out and seek? I have to stop myself from drafting green-blue ramp every time. Like, green-blue ramp does seem like it's it's a lot of fun in this uh, in this format. Yeah, it's really good. I really like it. And I, I, I if I just sit down and I'm not really paying attention, I'll draft green-blue ramp just kind of by accident and find myself playing it. It's got the payoff cards of opposition and upheaval, uh, which are both just kind of ridiculous cards. Opposition was very good in the previous powered cube uh, because you had so much artifact mana that you could kind of put it in any blue deck, but it's almost a green blue card now because the ramp is so uh, confined to green. Uh, Like there's something like three or four mana rocks in the entire format instead of it just being flooded with them like it was in the powered cube. Um, and then you get a, just a lot of fun cards. Like one of the challenges of a ramp deck is what happens if you play all your ramp spells, but you don't draw your big payoff. Well, blue can give you a lot of card draw so that if you have that ramp into nothing problem, well, you just draw cards until you find it. So it can be as simple as having a mole drifter in your, your ramp deck. And you're pretty happy with that. Like, okay, I got to five a couple turns early. I'll just play this mole drifter and draw more cards and keep it going. Um, or you can get those legitimate payoff cards of, well, I got an opposition. All my leftover mana dorks are now disrupting my opponent or an upheaval. You know what? Let's start the game over, but I'll start it with four mana. Like that seems fair to me. Yeah. Yeah. This definitely seems like the most, the deck that kind of scratches my itch. I think the most, um, I like big, dumb green things. I like ramping into big, dumb green things. I like ramping into big, dumb blue things that also draw cards. Uh, what's that? Consecrated, Consecrated Sphinx. Sphinx anyone? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I like a little bit of disruption, right? Um, you can you can sneak a few counter spells in, in this. Um, you can sneak a Mystic Snake in here. There's a few things that you can do to um, slow your opponent down, be a speed bump for your opponent until you stick Primeval Titan or something like that. Um, there's also Treachery, which is kind of neat. Not necessarily... I mean, I guess it goes in, in, in a blue deck that's more... Like, we've seen that in the past... Um, no, I guess treachery is basically just any kind of blue deck. I was thinking it's more of a deck that you want to be like untapping lands that, that tap for, for it's more just mana, good. but it's just good in general. I was thinking more of along the lines of not a storm deck, but like a, a blue based combo deck where you're trying to tap as many lands as possible. Um, yeah, there's, there's just, 
just a lot of good cards in green and blue and a lot of cards that I recognize, I think, which which is helpful for me. And the mana is so good if you take lands highly that you can often splash some nice payoff cards in other colors or maybe get you a Sundering Titan or something else to ramp into. Like you can do green ramp with almost any other color, but blue tends to be my favorite. So you, you, you can absolutely do green red ramp if that's what you want to do and try to get an Inferno Titan and a Primeval Titan and Slag Storm and like relive the glory days of Standard of Old. Uh, but I think blue-green is is really where I, I tend to go by default if I'm not actively trying to stop myself from doing it. <laughs> um, I like uh, Cyclonic Rift, too. This card is 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 kind of a fun card to ramp to. You can completely blow out your opponent with it, um, and it's only seven mana to bounce their entire board, which is very yeah. achievable in, uh, in a green ramp strategy. So I look forward to that. I, I might be forcing this one quite a bit. Yeah, and you can totally do that, man. Jump in there and do it. Okay. Um, as I was scrolling through here, though, I did see a Deceiver Exarch. Uh, that leads me to believe that there is a Kiki combo deck in here somewhere. Yeah, all of the pieces are here. Uh, there's Deceiver Exarch, Pestermite, um, Zealous Conscript, Splinter Twin, Kiki Jiki, and Imperial Recruiter to go find whatever of the piece that you're missing. Uh, so the the twin combo is alive and well. There's also Restoration Angel, uh, which can combo with Kiki. So there's like lots of different ways you can do this. Um, the the last deck I played was actually one of these where I played Kiki and made a copy of my Imperial Recruiter to go get my Pestermite. So they saw it coming, <laughs> but like there's nothing they could do about it. It was great, um, and like that that moves you into like a blue red combo deck specifically this combo is is the one that you're often looking for because it just kind of wins the game on the spot. But you can also do like a blue-red sort of counter burn, I think is the strategy that they call it. But you're using red for, for removal, blue for some sort of disruption, and then you're going to try to stick a threat and kill them with it. Uh, it's worth mentioning that Zealous Conscripts is just absurd in this cube. Uh, it doesn't matter what cube you're playing. That effect is crazy powerful. Mm-hmm. Like you get style points if you take a planeswalker and ultimate it, but often just stealing one of their giant creatures and swinging in for the conscripts plus whatever big blocker they thought they were going to have can turn out to be lethal. I've lost and won many games like that. Uh, If you're drafting a combo deck, you can also pick up something like force of will or even pact of negation to stop your opponent from interacting with you. Even when you're tapped out. Uh, So like, that's the combo I'm always looking for when I'm doing this, but there's plenty of neat stuff you can do with blue-red. If you pick burn spells, counter spells, and then maybe have one or two threats that can end the game, or even some medium-sized stuff. Like, I've played decks like this that were looking to kill you with, like... Uh, Kiln Fiend, anyone? Like a Siege Gang Commander mm-hmm. is, is what mm-hmm. I was thinking of. But, like, yeah, you can do it with a Kiln Fiend. I, I probably wouldn't go that route myself, but... It, it, Planeswalkers are also a very reasonable kill condition in a blue-red deck if you because you can kind of stick one and protect it. And there's just tons of good Planeswalkers in, in those colors and in all of the colors. Okay. Uh, you mentioned a little bit of control. Um, there's also, I say Esper, but it's really any of the three Esper colors. So that's blue, black, or white uh, control-style deck. There's a lot of um, cards that I remember from the RTR block uh supreme verdict is one that stands out specifically um but what are you kind of looking for if you want to play control in those colors 
You're looking for some way to generate card advantage is, is essentially what you're looking for there. So like sweepers, I'm, I'm not picking those super early, but I do generally want to have one in a control deck, which is fine. There's plenty of them. You can find it. You mentioned Supreme Verdict. Wrath of God is also in here. Damnation's also in here. We saw Toxic Deluge in the, the pack that we were looking at. Oblivion Stones in the cube. So you've got a Colorless Wrath if you want one. So you're just looking for the like some way to generate card advantage. Um, you're looking for a lot of removal spells, some card draw spells, and then one or two big things that you're planning to kill your opponent with. Quite often, I'll try to use Planeswalkers as my kill condition in this style deck. Um, if my opponent has some creature removal and like my finisher is going to be Consecrated Sphinx, like sure, I'm still going to play Consecrated Sphinx in this deck. It's great. But be aware if like that's one of like five creatures you're playing, your opponent may still have a Doom Blade for it when you run it out. Uh, whereas if I can stick a Planeswalker and then just start to generate, you know, incremental value with that over time, I'm going to be pretty happy. But cheap counterspells, uh, cheap interactivity, cheap removal, sweepers, and card draw is kind of what I'm looking for to, when I want to go into control. And it's, again, one of those strategies that you can almost decide this is what I'm going to do. Because mm -hmm. there's so much card draw in blue that if if you want access to that, you'll be able to get it. You're not going to get Sphinx's Revelation every time you decide you want to be a blue white control deck, but you can get Glimmer of Genius, which is like a worse version, but it functionally does something similar. Yeah, there's a lot of value cards, too, that you can pick up, like Moldrifter. Um, just just like you said, card advantage, two for ones, three for ones. Those are the kinds of things you're looking for. Um, what's your favorite Planeswalker in this in that deck? I mean, specifically, my favorite Planeswalker in that deck I was actually about to mention is the Scarab God. Ah, not even a Planeswalker, but might as well be. Yeah, I, I did happen to draft, I think it was the first cube outing I had with this version. I had a hunch that with the Scarab God being added in here, it was going to be quite good in this cube. Uh, so I, I picked it, I think, third and decided to give it a go. And it was as good as advertised. So I'm killing all of my opponent's creatures. And I have a few value dudes in mind. Uh, I think it was Shriek Malls and Moldrifter were like the, the value creatures I was playing. And I'm certainly quite happy to bring those back, but also just bringing back all of the stuff that my opponent killed. And there are ways to deal with the Scarab God in here. So it's not quite as as painful as it was in Hour of Devastation. It did get Karned in one game and exiled. And like Oblivion Ring exists to get rid of it. But it's still a very solid kill condition. Um, I, I splashed uh, Soren, the Consecon Soren, in a, a controlling deck at one point, which is fine. You can play him and make start you know make a vampire, give it life link, start swinging. Uh, I think I also had Bitter Blossom in that deck, so it was a little bit more on the tokeny side, uh, but it was definitely looking to win via control. Okay. Any other archetypes that we missed here, or can you think of anything? Touched on it a little bit there. Like if if the mana is good enough, you can absolutely make a black white tokens deck. Um, you're still looking for some of those anthems. They're a little harder to work in on the mana base though, because many of them are double white. Uh, but you're looking for disruptive stuff, powerful planeswalkers, Soren and Liliana of the Veil and Elspeth kind of come to mind for me there. Um, I've, I've been super happy playing black-white, and that's that's one of my favorite color combinations in Magic to begin with. I just kind of dig the flavor and what the cards do. And then Lingering Souls is just a really powerful card, too. Yeah, Lingering Souls is a dumb card. First pickable in some packs? Maybe again, if that's what you want to do, you absolutely can. I, I tend to try to value uh, if you see one of the colorless mana rocks when you open it. That's one of the few cases where I can probably say that's what you should be taking. 
because there's just so few of them that you're not going to get access to that. Other than that, I tend to value Planeswalkers highly. Um, and then ju- just cards I want to play or kind of what I want to be doing when I go in. I would encourage people not to be intimidated by this because you can decide I'm going to draft a green ramp deck or I'm going to draft a red or white aggressive deck, which are, are relatively simple archetypes to wrap your head around and then just sit down and do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did have a question. Um, maybe this will close us out here. But when it comes to Planeswalkers, I find it can be tough to evaluate a lot of planeswalkers against each other all at once. Like when you're drafting a regular format, you're only ever going to open one planeswalker at a time unless you're super lucky. Um, but like we never have to make the decision, you know, Quatly versus uh, Angrath, for example, right? Um, but but in Cube, you're going to be frequently presented with two, three, four planeswalkers at a time sometimes. Um, which are the, the big ones that stand out for you that are like, you know, I really want to snap this up. Like for me, Ashiok is one that kind of comes to mind because that fits right into the what blue black wants to be doing um it it can get you a lot of incremental advantage it can win you the game kind of outright just strictly by decking your opponent at some point if you can control the board um but you know it's quite frequently you can stick an ashiok damnation on turn four for example and be just up huge um against your opponent and they either have to answer it or be facing their own creatures at some point but are there any other ones that kind of stand out to you as like you know you're going to take this and like be very, very happy about it. One of the neat things here is that all of the planeswalkers in this cube are good and you can kind of take the one that you like the most, right? Like if I have a preference to draft reanimator decks, even though I'm aware that they're kind of bad and I see Liliana of the Veil, I'm going to be really interested in that because it's a removal spell, it's pressure on my opponent and it's a way to discard stuff from my hand. I have a preference for the planeswalkers that can come down and kill something. So like the four mana Chandra from uh, Kaladesh block, I think she's great. I can play her, minus her to get rid of a threat from my opponent, and then still have some value left over. Uh, Bob Nixilis is in the cube. So five mana, play him, kill one of your dudes. And then as long as the board's stable, have this guy left over to start drawing me cards and and generate value from there. But I think all of them are really good. Uh, Any of the ones that produce tokens, so there's various flavors of Elspeth that do this and Soren that does this. I think those are actually quite nice because if if you have an empty board, even if your opponent has one or two creatures, you can often play them, use that ability to make tokens and protect them for a turn. So you know you'll get to untap with them. So I tend to value those that either make creatures so that they can defend themselves or that can be a removal spell. And then if that's the removal spell that stabilizes me, I've got that value left over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Elspeth, the one that makes three three tokens. I think that's the six mana one. Mm-hmm. I remember playing against that a lot in standard, and um, it was a pain to get through. Right, you'd have two creatures on board. She'd come down, make three tokens, and you're like, "Well, I guess I lose this game." Yeah, it's just nothing you can do about it. Yeah, and it's. It, I imagine it's the same in cube. Okay, and be aware too when you're drafting your deck that like you're not the only one that gets to pick these planeswalkers. So anything that can deal with a Planeswalker starts to become a very interesting card for you. So Oblivion Ring, any sort of evasive creature, counterspells, like anything like that that can handle a Planeswalker. Dreadbore, for example, is in the cube. So like pick those cards up when you can to interact with them because they can absolutely be the deciding factor in some of your games. Also, all of these spells are good. All of them are, are quite powerful. So the games are going to feel swingy. If you play your first game and get absolutely run over by a mono red deck or absolutely out controlled by a, a, a blue white control deck, 
don't hang up the hat just yet. Play your other matches and see how it goes because you should be on the other side of that. Uh, this is this is swingy magic, not quite as swingy as Power Cube, uh, but still certainly swingy magic because there's there's no duds here. There's no grizzly bears. There's no vanilla cards in here. These are all powerful all stars of magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's the worst card in here? Savannah, not Savannah Lines. Um, the white two two legendary creature from Kamigawa. Yes, that's it. Is that like the worst card in the in the cube? Like a, just a vanilla two two for one white? Not if you're drafting mono. Not if you're aggro, drafting mono, great. and that's the point, right? Is that it, it's it's these cards are curated. This list is curated over time. You know, cards leave and cards enter, and you assume that the cube stays the same power or gets slightly better because of it. Um, you know, there's a reason for every cube or for every card in this cube, essentially, um, as with most cubes. So basically, you should you can draft a ham sandwich and have a reasonable chance at winning at least one match. I would say, yeah. as long as you know how magic I, I, works. Yeah, you need to know how magic works, which if you're listening to this podcast, presumably you do. And again, I'm going to leave you with this final thought from me. Draft a deck, not good cards. Remember, there's plenty of great six drops and not enough stuff to do in the early game. So like I first picked Ponder and Serum Visions and Lightning Bolt more times than I'd care to count just because they're cheap and it's something I can do early. And I think that's a, a really good way to start drafting in a cube is pick the Llanowar Elf first and then, you know, pick up random six mana creature, pick five or six. Yeah. Okay. And lands. Oh, yeah. You're, you're not drafting enough lands. Um, I, I view it as a failure if I don't have six non-basics, bare minimum, in my cube decks. I really want to have more than that, but sometimes I can't get them. Uh, but if I'm ever playing a two-color deck and basics, I'm actually really, really embarrassed. I'm going to come into your stream and call you a failure every time you do that. Thank you. Thank you. It's always nice. Whenever something is going wrong in my stream, I know that you're going to pop in shortly and and have a word or two to say about that. I have my spies that that a little bird tells me that, hey, by the way, Travis Jaff drafted a uh, Opaline unicorn. You should come in and bug him about it. But you didn't hear it from me is how that conversation goes. Yeah. Yeah. I love my spies. They're great. Mm hmm. Anything else on cube or should we wrap it up there? Yeah, I think that's got out what I want. I think I could probably talk for another three hours about cube in general and this particular cube, Uh, but I'll save some of it for when the modern cube comes back because I'm excited about that one too. Perfect. All right. I think that's going to wrap it up for this week. I'm going to take a couple minutes here to talk about the Patreon. Um, We mentioned it last week, but this week I believe we're going to actually launch it. Um, so we'll put the link in the show notes, but that is patreon.com slash men from moto. If I'm remembering correctly, if you desire to support the podcast and we've had people ask us in the past, Hey, how can we support the podcast? This is your way to do it. Um, you can go on there and give as little or as much as you want per episode. Uh, if you do, you will have our eternal gratitude and you can be certain that that money that you, uh, provide to us will be going to, uh, fund the podcast. We have some expenses that we incur, uh, as part of the recording and editing, and we'd like to pick up some new equipment and the like. Um, you can also feed Travis's V8 habit. <laughs> it's a good habit, man. It, I used to smoke. Now I drink a V8. It's a great, it's a great habit to have. Um, but no, seriously, if, uh, if that's something you're interested in, you'd like to, to support us, you can go to that link and, and check us out there. And if you are an existing Patreon, uh, please do go and review your pledge because we have switched it. Uh, if you were on Travis's Patreon, that was, 
he has switched it from monthly to per episode. So you want to go there and make sure that you adjust your amount and you don't get dinged for a bunch of money. Uh, and patrons there will get access to uh, the mic check that we do before, um, as well as some other reward tiers there that you can check out. So if that's something that tickles your fancy, we welcome you into the community. But of course, you don't have to do that. You can just continue to listen to your podcast, uh, bring your friends along, tell them about how wonderful we are and how much you enjoy listening to us talk about Cube. In the meantime, if uh, Patreon's not your thing, but you do want to get more content from from Travis or myself, Travis, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter and Twitch under the name Simulin. Uh, so that's twitch.tv slash Simulin, S-E-M-U-L-I-N, and at Simulin on Twitter. And I am at DCivilian on both. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N at this, uh, sorry, Twitch and Twitter, the same name. Uh, generally stream magic uh, once or twice a week at least. So you can come check me out there. Once again, thanks to Mana Deprived and FaceToFace.com for all of their support. And uh, we'll see you next week. Adios.